1: And now, here's your host.
0: Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about some news that's happening in and around the Walt Disney World Resort and the Disney Company in general, and kind of take you through some of the things that I've seen and heard that I think are worth mentioning at this point. I'm going to start by talking about Epcot and Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy looks and sounds like it's going to be kind of a cool attraction, that there's something kind of neat there. They've really kind of caught the immersiveness of it, that they've figured out how to regain that sort of moment of talking about something that's really immersive. I know Disney has kind of lost out on that a couple of times recently, but it sounds like they're kind of getting that back and, you know, getting that mojo back, if you will. The problem I have with it is that number one, it's not something that I can ride on because I've heard that it's a little too got a little too much movement for me, and also that the screens are a little disorienting at times. So I'm I don't know I I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I can't ride on it, but I'm not sure if I'm going to go in and actually see the uh, queue area because I understand the queue is really supposed to be really nice too. And I I did enjoy the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, at least the first one, so you know it might be worth seeing at some point, even if I don't ride on it then again, I might just watch the videos and just take it that way because that may be the best I'll be able to do. Not sure how that's going to work with, you know, lightning lane and whatever else and whether I really want to wait in the queue for a long period of time just to look at it and not ride it. So I'm not sure how I'm going to work that out. And this is part of the bigger problem I have. While they are recapturing the immersiveness of it, they're still leaving people out like me that have that issue with being able to go on motion rides. And it's unfortunate, you know, that they really haven't thought this through. I I realize that they, you know, they want to cater to the right, to the audience, but, you know, where's, where is it for the people that can't do it? It's supposed to be for everyone, right? That's the idea is you can, you can, everyone can experience and enjoy, but here's a really big e-ticket type attraction that I'm never going to be able to enjoy. And it's kind of sad in a way that they keep creating these and I can't take them in. And I feel kind of bad about that. Not, you know, not because I'm sad about what they're doing, but it just feels kind of of unfortunate that I get left out and other people like me get left out in some way. The other thing to consider is the fact that Epcot is no longer Epcot. I mean, the universe of energy really captured what we're talking about as far as, like, the environment and energy and our future needs and how we as people interact with Earth, which is really what Epcot was about. And now that you've taken that away and just stuck an intellectual property behemoth of a building in there, it loses everything about what Epcot was. The Epcot was about the the building styles and the fact that the, the buildings all had a, a form to them and they had a function that, that was associated with that. You know the, the angles of the buildings were all important and the, the nature of the way they came together was all part of what it was. And now you've got this roller coaster building behind it that's showing there, and you can see it, and it, it loses what Epcot is all about. And of course, because it's not about, you know, your sort of futuristic view of the world, it's just sort of a ride about a movie, it kind of loses something. And it's unfortunate, again, that they've done this, but I realize that that's what Epcot has become. It's no longer anything like what it was. It's all about, you know, having rides and shows and having people come in there and enjoy themselves and not be anything like what the whole idea of Epcot was. I think if you change the name of it to anything else, you'd probably be better served because it's really not anything like what Epcot was intended to be. Not that Epcot was ever what Epcot was intended to be. If you've listened to my podcast for any period of time, you know that I talk about that extensively, that Epcot ceased being Epcot the day that Walt Disney died. So that's kind of the way it goes, I guess. Next up, I wanted to talk about the park reservation system. You know, people talk about it, they hate it, they don't like it, they don't like the way it works, it's hard to get a reservation sometimes, it's hard to get groups together to get the reservation, it's really kind of complicated, the fact that the park is always crowded anyway, what's the point? And I will tell you that the point is always about the almighty dollar. The most highest value customers that they've got, the people that pay the most to go in the parks, those are the ones that they always wanna have in the parks, they want to make sure that they always have the ability to get in there. If you have a hundred thousand available spaces in the park, let's just say, you want to make sure that something like eighty thousand of them are available to your highest value customers. So that other twenty thousand can be allocated to everyone else. And as you get closer to the day, and people change their minds, and maybe the same day, some of those may drop off, and you may get another ten or fifteen thousand that come back to everyone else. But most of them are going to be reserved for those people who are paying the most, the people who are at the highest value customers, the people that are in the DVC properties, the people that are uh, paying for the very expensive resorts, and then kind of down the line to people that are staying at the value resorts and whatever on property, and then to anyone else. So the, the reservation system is not about managing park capacity, sort of. I mean, it is to a point, but it's really about making sure that you're managing park capacity to ensure that the people who are paying the most have access to the park. You don't want them to be cut off. You don't want, you know, if you're gonna, you know, you, by limiting it to 100,000, let's just use that number again. I don't know what the number is, but by limiting it to that number, you're ensuring that there's always room for uh, these people to come in that are paying more. So at 100,000, you may cut it off at some point, but the people who are paying the most may be shut out of the park if you don't have the park reservation system. And you never want them to be shut out ever. That's the important thing. That's what you have to keep in mind there. So the highest paying customers are the ones who always have access. And those of us who aren't the highest paying customers, that's nice. If you can get space, you can get space. Otherwise go to a different park. So something I've noticed, I, I watched some videos at night on like YouTube, and I've noticed a fair number of videos of people leaving the Disney college program or otherwise talking about the Disney college program and some of the hits and misses of the Disney college program. And I just find it interesting to see sort of this perspective on it. I don't recall ever seeing a bunch of videos about the Disney College Program before. And, you know, I remember when I was there 30 years ago that people loved the Disney College Program. And I remember talking to some people in the more recent days, you know, a couple of years ago, who had done the Disney College Program who really loved it and talked about it in glowing terms. You know, there were some people who left always, and there's always gonna be a few negative people, but I think Disney was always selective about who they took, what, they, what roles they gave them, making sure that the educational experience of what you were getting in return for doing the work at the parks really did match up. And I think now they're not doing that as much, and it feels like they're just, you know, it's just labor. You know, you're just bringing in more people, more bodies to throw at the jobs because you don't have as many people coming to work there as you did in the past. Even though you're paying well, I just think that it's, it's not working out the same way it did, and so you're having trouble staffing certain areas. And so therefore people you know, wind up leave, coming into the program and it's, doesn't, it's not what they want it to be and they wind up leaving. And it's just kind of weird how that kind of works out. You know, now that I'm seeing more about it, you, know, you peel back the onion and you go, wow, it's not the same program it used to be. And I didn't expect that it would be because everything's changed, right? You need more people to come in as labor and you've got this effectively cheap labor you know, to come in who want to work there and you've got this opportunity to bring them in. And it's interesting, too, because one of the things that I remember when I was there 30 years ago, one of the hallmarks was what they wanted was people to have some Disney experience, you know, at some point in your life, have some Disney experience, whether you were there in high school or college or whatever. And then you go away and you get some industry experience, and then you come back to Disney and you bring that industry experience plus that knowledge you have of having been a legacy cast member, and you apply that to being a really good cast member in a really big role. And it feels like that's not that way exactly anymore. They're not trying to foster that sort of environment. Maybe it's just an opinion, but it feels like that to me. Now, turning to Bob Chapek for a moment, it's interesting. He's still around. You know, after what happened with Reedy Creek, I wasn't sure how the board was going to feel about that. But so far, they've kind of let it go. Nothing new happening there. But there was an interesting kind of story about him where he was... um, went to Indiana University, which is his alma mater, and he was doing the, uh, the commencement address. And he recalled his family trips to Disney World in Orlando, and he said, going through the doors of the happiest place on earth was unlike anything I'd de- ever done before. Now, the, the, what they point out was, <laughs> was, he was kind of mistaken there. The happiest place on earth is the slogan for Disneyland. Disney World is the most magical place on earth. And you would think that as the CEO, he would know the difference. But he didn't know the difference, and he just said something, and it was sort of right, but completely wrong. You know, he spent five years running Disney's Parks Division, so it's kind of weird that he might miss that particular nuance. I mean, I know it's very, it's very simple and subtle, but it's kind of interesting that he didn't, uh, didn't get that. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news around, around disney but you keep hearing about more things happening you know and it's it's like not good things people breaking the rules people getting into fights people um stealing from you know, people you know like a stroller sitting there and someone just picks everything off the stroller and walk, tries to walk away and you, you just keep hearing about these things or people behaving badly or people being entitled and feeling like they need to do something there was a guy who was carrying a gun in a holster around his neck, and he comes he comes to the gate, and the police stopped him. And the, the police actually stopped him, because they saw that he had that. And they were like, um, do you have a permit for this? And he had no permit, and he <laughs> he didn't even have a... He, he can't... I guess he was a convicted felon or something, and he can't legally own a gun. And he goes, oh, it's my sister's. I didn't realize I had it. And it's just like, you know, things like this just keep happening. And I don't understand how this keeps happening, and why Disney is always at the epicenter of these things these days. I guess it's just bad behavior all the way around. You know, you're at the most magical place on Earth. Why not just relax and enjoy yourself and just go in and be a good citizen and just, you know, kind of take it in and enjoy it? I can't quite figure this out. Now, there's a story going around that Congress wants to change the copyright rules. Uh, Mickey Mouse was um, copyrighted in 19... uh, I guess it was 1923, I believe, when Disney was founded. And um, there was the 75-year copyright rule. Then Congress extended the copyright rule to be 100 years. And uh, so now it's coming up on the time when uh, Mickey Mouse would enter the public domain. And Disney doesn't like that. Congress is kind of miffed at Disney in the same way that DeSantis, the governor of Florida is. There's this weird sort of, I don't know, it's a culture war thing, I don't even understand it. But there's a whole thing that they want to take away the copyright rules. And it's weird, you know, in the way they're talking about it, they don't really even understand how the law works or how copyrights work or how companies operate, because the way they want to take it away is the most pedantic, silly way. It doesn't even make sense and probably wouldn't stand up to a constitutional challenge, you know, a legal challenge in any way, uh, because it's just kind of strange the way they've set it up and they really don't get it. Sure, I get it. You know, copyright rules need to be changed. I'm not disagreeing with that point. Uh, but I think we need to kind of, again, it's time to take a step back and think about it. What does this mean? We change the copyright rules. What does that mean? What's the, what should be the rule? Maybe at that 100-year mark, it's like, okay, it's time to, uh, to let the copyright lapse and let uh, Mickey uh, enter the public domain. Maybe that's the right thing to do. you know. And that's okay, but it's just weird how this, you know, this we get involved in these weird sort of politics games instead of just talking about what the actual issue is. There's also a discussion in Congress about whether Disney should have a no-fly zone over it. Disney has had a no-fly zone over it. Um, well, it's a, it was an unofficial no-fly zone for probably the 1980s up until September 11th. And then after that, it became an official one because the largest tourist destination, you didn't want to have planes flying over it and have the risk of someone crashing a plane into Disney World. So it made sense. Now they want to take that away because they're mad, again, they're mad at Disney and we shouldn't have this and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's back to what's the import here? Why do we have the no-fly zones over Disney? You know, the unofficial one they had was just because Disney kind of controlled their own airspace. And there could be planes flying over at a certain altitude, but mostly... The control center routed them around it because it was the safer thing to do in the event of any sort of an accident. Maybe not a you know something intentional, but just anything that might happen. So it's one of those things where it it makes sense to maybe change it, but again, put a little thought into it and try to decide um, what you're going to do. And speaking of you know sort of this this interaction between Disney and politicians, there was a poll conducted recently where. Governor DeSantis and Disney were both um, polled and you know what's your what's your feeling about them, what's the popularity look like. And Disney polled better than DeSantis did. He got a better rate they got a better rating, more popular than the governor. So it just goes to show you, you know, kind of how this all nets out. Disney still has that clout and that power. And then speaking of um, DeSantis and what he's doing, what he's talking about now is taking over Reedy Creek Reedy Creek, the whole improvement district, and he would run it. He would run it. The state would run it. And basically would dictate how Disney manages itself. And then he said, oh, I'm going to put them on the hook for any money they owe and in uh, the bonds and I'm going I'm to just flaunt the law, the law and uh, just go ahead and, and make it happen that way because that's the way I want it to end. And no matter what, this can't end well. There's just no good ending to this. It's, he continues to pile on and pile on to Disney because he's trying to tell Disney what to do Disney's a private company. Disney should be able to do what it wants to do, even though they, I agree the whole law maybe needed to change a little bit. There's something odd happening there. Speaking of politics, there's a rumor floating around, or an idea being floated, that Bob Iger may run for political office, perhaps even president, which I find kind of interesting and almost funny, but I get it. He's very popular. He's got, you know, he did a lot of good things for Disney. I understand why people would want to encourage him to run. I don't know that it's the right thing or that it would work out, but I find it kind of interesting and, you know, maybe he will. Maybe he'll start off with a state state office or working for someone's office. Maybe that's how he does it. There was a lawsuit that was filed uh, about Disneyland's pass holder program and the fact that they said there were no blackout dates and yet because of park capacity, they basically were having blackouts so people couldn't use their park passes. And Disney argued, well, that that was a condition of what we had in there. And the way the terms and conditions were written, it, that's not clear. That's not spelled out specifically. And it's been changed since, I believe. But at the time that they were selling these passes, that wasn't really spelled out. So they were able to proceed with the lawsuit. A judge agreed to go ahead and let the suit proceed, even though Disney tried to dismiss it. So this is going to be interesting. And I don't think this is actually going to come to any sort of a trial. I think Disney will find a way to... Um, basically have some sort of arrangement with the people that have filed the suit. It's some number of people, it's not that many, to go ahead and make it go away. And um, maybe settle out of court, find a way to make it work. But it just feels like I think they're going to make it go that way. There's also uh, a story that came out about Disney being a barometer for the economy. And there's a couple of uh, economists and people who work on Wall Street and so forth that look at Disney and they go, what Disney does tells us what's happening in financial health. When Disney is doing really well and their park capacity is up, spend is up, and there's people staying in the hotels, it tells us the economy is doing well. When they're not, the economy is not doing well. And it usually is a leading indicator because people stop traveling and stop spending their money when the economy is starting to take a downward turn because people are trying to conserve. Now you could look at it and realize that in this case, people had a lot of pent-up demand over the course of a couple of years, and certainly Disney is a place to go and forget your troubles, so people want to go there. And they've had the money saved up and they didn't get to go previously, so now they're all going. Everyone's, everyone wants to clamber to go to Disney. So you could maybe make the case that it's not so much a barometer as much as it is just a, a moment in time when people are finally getting out and able to travel again and do some things even internationally, so maybe that's the case, but it's still sort of a barometer. It still gives you an indicator of what's happening with Disney. I think there's still something to that. It's just gonna be a little bit more that they have to, you have to look at it a little more carefully than just saying that it's, an, uh, it's truly a barometer. But I found it interesting that Disney is used at some points to kind of see how financial health is going. And speaking of financial health, Disney had their first quarter earnings and they weren't as profitable. And you know, everyone looked at it and went, oh, well, that's not good. But you have to remember that Disney, one of the things they did when the parks were closed, they traded on their brand, they took out loans, they got people to invest in them, these other companies to invest in them, so they could stay afloat, right? They just didn't want to go into the red really badly, so they were taking loans and trading on their brand for a period of time. Now those loans are coming due. So when they're making money here through the gates and through the things that they're doing, they're repaying some of that debt that they've got. So this is expected. I would expect that their financial picture wouldn't be as great because they're paying back some of the stuff that they had to do to stay active and be able to pay their cast members for some period of time and do some of the things that they needed to do. So I take this as a positive thing. The fact that their financial health is good and the parks are being populated again and the fact that they have to have a reservation system, that all comes as a good thing and they're paying back the debt that they owe. This is a very positive thing in my opinion and that's just the way I see it. Anyway, that's the, uh, the news roundup for the things that I see. And I just wanted to share those with you.
1: One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little
0: spark lights up for you. For my One Little Spark segment today, I wanted to spend a minute or two and just talk about immigration and people coming into this country and how we think about them coming in and we have a tendency to kind of treat people in different ways depending on where they come from and you know they come from Europe we treat them one way they come from a Latin American country we treat them a different way they come from say one of the uh, poor African nations and we treat them in a third way and it, it's interesting the way we treat people and you know it's funny because if you go back and you look at the uh, Statue of Liberty when France gave us the Statue of Liberty we put a plaque on the bottom of it. And it's, this, it's supposed to be this monument to liberty, and it's right there at Ellis Island where the uh, ships would come in and people would come into the New World, right? And they would show up in New York and they'd want to be part of the society. And the, the plaque reads, The New Colossus, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows the worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands, your storied pump, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This tablet, with her sonnet, to the Bertholai Statue of Liberty, engraved upon it, is placed upon these walls, in loving memory of Emma Lazarus, born in New York City, July 22nd, 1849, died November 19, 1887. She wrote a sonnet, and it was good enough that the city of New York decided that they had to put it on the Statue of Liberty to express what the Statue of Liberty was all about and why. It's important to, to let immigrants come here. And we forget about that sometimes. We forgot about it early on when the Statue of Liberty was first erected here. You think about when people came to this country and they came through Ellis Island to come here. People were um, marginalized in some cases, and if they couldn't afford to pay for themselves to be here, they were sent back to wherever they came from or detained for long periods of time. And over time, things have remained more or less the same. You know, so we're not really bringing in the tired, the poor, the huddled masses. We're not always embracing them. And I don't know what the right answer is, but it's interesting to think about what this stood for and how we treat it in society. I just wanted to give you pause and think about that as we think about immigrants that come to this country and think about how your family emigrated here and how you, your family achieved something and you've got something now to call your own that your couple of generations ago, maybe they didn't have. Or maybe you come from some wealth and they did have it, and you had the, the privilege, the ability to come here and live a good life. You just need to think about it, and think about it through other people's eyes as well. And think about your neighbors and the people that come to this country and how we can welcome them in some ways. You know, what's going on in Ukraine? We can certainly welcome people from the Ukraine into our homes, into our communities, and give them, a, you know, the extended hand. Cook them a meal. Do something that's nice. That's all I'm saying. You know, you realize that there's plenty of people out there that need our help our compassion. And it's time for us to show that compassion. Anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates.